As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and with me tonight to break down the USA's 2-0 win over Brazil in the She Believes Cup is Jordan Angeli. Jordan, great to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Taylor. Were you a little envious of the weather there in Orlando? A little bit. It's so sunny and nice and warm. Yeah, Yeah, meanwhile, it's 20 degrees here and uh, everything is covered in ice. The ice (laughs) is slowly melted, but yes, I was very jealous of the the warm weather over there. Oh, yeah, it was... (laughs) I was like, can I just be transported there right now? In my mind, I was. In my mind, I was, for sure. Yeah, I, again, we talked about this on uh, uh, last time, but I imagine for you, like, being accustomed to covering this team in person, this would mm-hmm. be a nice opportunity to be down in Florida in February. Unfortunately, here we are. I wouldn't have said no, is all I have to say. <laughs> well, we are going to uh, break down the USA's 2-0 no win, as I said. Lots of tactical stuff, lots of individual player moments. Wanted to start off with uh, the pregame uh, incident in which we had the National Anthem. The team as a whole uh, chose to stand. There was much speculation about that online, about who had said what and when and what had been told or asked. Here is the uh, the quotes that I will say coming from Crystal Dunn after the game. I think those that were collectively kneeling felt like we were kneeling to bring about attention to police brutality and systemic racism. And I think we decided that moving forward, we no longer feel the need to kneel because we are doing the work behind the scenes. We're combating systemic racism. So there was always going to be a time that we felt it was time to stand. And I think we're all proud that we are doing the work behind the scenes. And it was just a game that we felt we were ready to move into the next phase and just continuously fight for change. Uh, But I do think moving forward, we are prepared to just continue working off the field and continuously having these conversations. Even though we are choosing to stand, it doesn't mean that the conversations go away or they stop. It's all to say that we are now... I think, ready to move past the protesting phase and actually move into putting all of the talk into actual work. So those words from Crystal Dunn, uh, I will leave it to Twitter and the Internet to debate them and argue back and forth. But did just want to say up front that that was uh, the incident and that was the explanation from Crystal Dunn, who delivered some post-match comments. Jordan, let's talk about the game. I want to start off by reading another quote. 
This one from our Canada Review Show. Uh, we did this last week. <laughs> I asked about which player you most wanted to see. You said Dabinia, which was correct. Then uh, for the U.S., you said Kristen Press. And here is your quote. I would like to see Kristen Press start uh, start instead of Megan Rapinoe because the U.S. wingers tuck inside and become a tight front three against a back line that will have to adapt or they'll be overloaded. And I was really impressed with Kristen Press's movement off the ball when she came in. Her runs in behind the back line were so well-timed. And here we are. The question, Jordan, are you clairvoyant? Because that is pretty much exactly how that goal came to be. Yeah, I don't, I guess so. Not, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. I feel more pressure from that question than anything else. Uh, you know, it just, I have noticed recently too, watching the U.S. Women's National Team, Kristen Press and Lindsay Horan get each other. They just understand each other because there was that near miss in the last game. Mm-hmm. This time they didn't have a near miss. They had a uh, another Kristen Press killer goal where she cuts it inside and just does what she does best, puts in the back of the net. But I I liked it. Didn't yeah. you like it? Which, I feel which, like it was a good that w- left side? Kristen Press starting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we did have – let's talk about that lineup for a second then because we okay. did have Kristen Press starting instead of Megan Rapinoe. We had Alex Morgan instead of Carly Lloyd, Rose Lavelle instead of Katarina Macario, and Emily Sonnet instead of Midge Purse. Were you excited about all of those? Were th- I know we had talked about you wanted to see Midge Purse again. You had wanted to see Katarina Macario. So were you sort of disappointed with this lineup? Or re- are you always sort of excited? Because it's a new opportunity to see new things. You know, I would have liked to see Midge Purse mm-hmm. just because, a- as we saw on the left side, there were a lot more opportunities in the channels for the United States to create. Mm-hmm. And I think with Midge Purse's attacking mentality on the right side, it would have been a little bit, uh, there would have been more opportunities. Plus, mind you, we talk about that left side and how there were overloads and how a lot of players were drifting to the left. Well, that opens opportunities, not only for Lynn Williams on the far side, but imagine Midge Purse just as a late runner bombing in behind. I think that would have been interesting to see. But I understand uh, Vlako Lindanovsky has hard decisions to make soon enough. And you need to see if Emily Sonnet is going to be able to provide that. You need to see if Lynn Williams is going to be able to provide that. And so, um, and then you plug in Rose LaBelle. It's like she can't do any wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, that checks out. <laughs> yeah. At least Sonnet, though, unfortunately, could do some wrong. Uh, I was really happy to see her in the lineup. I really, really mm-hmm. like Emily Sonnet. I, I feel like she's a very strong, positive presence in the locker room. She seems to bring a lot of really good energy into the team. So yeah. I was excited to see her. It felt like it was going to be a good moment for her. And then it seems like Marta and Dabinia were also very excited to see her. Lots of uh, one-twos down that uh, down that touch line. It felt like they were sort of targeting Sonnet. And I couldn't tell if that was an Emily Sonnet thing or if that was a Brazil's game plan was to go down that side because there might be opportunities there. Did you get a sense of that one? Did you feel like this was Emily Sonnet having a particularly bad game or was she sort of uh, not hung out to dry necessarily, but more so in a difficult situation from the start? There's two things I think of. One, Emily Sonnet's really a center back. That's really her best position. Man, she's I a always back. forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So Good point. she's constantly having to adapt her thinking as far as her positioning goes into that outside back role. Can she play it? Absolutely. Absolutely. She's a good one to be one defender. She has fight. She has grit. Um, you mentioned she's freaking hilarious, too, which is <laughs> an additional bonus. But she has all these things that can she can plug into that outside back role. Um, but two, if you had to go one on one with. Crystal Dunn or Emily Sonnet, I I just wouldn't 
I wouldn't pick to go one v one against Crystal Dunn or try to com- combine yeah. with Crystal Dunn and Becky Sauerbrunn. Like those two lock down the left mm-hmm. side defensively. So I think for Brazil, they just happen to have Marta on that side as well, right? Mm-hmm. On on their left side, attacking the right side of the U.S.'s back, they have Marta, they have Dabinia, and it's you know I don't want to say the weaker of the two sides, but again, Crystal Dunn and Becky Sauerbrunn are solid game in and game out and that outside right back is really if it's not Kelly O'Hara it's a question mark right now for the United States it is and I think it's also in my mind at least a question mark about what they want to do down that right side Mm -hmm. not just from a personnel standpoint but the way they want to play because yeah what you again you you pointed this out in the uh, review last week about the kind of rotations on that left side of when they do attack down the channels the United States it's if it's that left side it's maybe crystal done but more often than not, it's one of the central midfielders who's gone wide and that wide attacker has has gone into the middle. And it creates a lot of like variability to the way the United States wants to attack. But it also gives you a bunch of numbers over there. When you'd go to the right-hand side, I didn't feel like Rose Lavelle was, was going out there to create some of those overloads. I didn't see Lynn right. Williams drifting inside as much. And I, I do then wonder, like, does that factor into why the U.S. didn't look as good down there if you don't have those overloads? Do you have thoughts on why they're not trying to do that on both sides of the field? Yeah, I I think it's there's a, a couple things that come to mind. Uh, Lynn Williams is not a combiner. She's not a she's not a player who's good at the combinations, right? You want to find Lynn Williams with the ball that she can run onto and either get to the end line and cross, or maybe cut inside and try to go to to goal, mm-hmm. which she should have done and kept running fast in about the 60th minute where she had that <laughs> that opportunity. Well, there was um, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, we'll we'll move on. So I think that a lot of that depends on who that player is up front. If if you can get a player who can hold the ball up a little bit more, which happened in the first half a few a few different times where Lynn Williams did hold the ball up and Emily Sonnet could get around. But once that combination and that uh, strength of the winger to hold the ball up disappears, I think it makes it really difficult for the outside back to get involved. I do think we see that more with Kelly O'Hara in in the game because she has that a little bit more of an attack, attacking mindset. But I'm I'm I think it's more has to do with who the winger is up there. Um, for a long time, we've seen Tobin Heath on one side and Megan Rapino on the other side, and both of those players are so good with the ball at their feet under pressure, keeping possession for their team. Lynn has a lot of good qualities about her, but I don't think that is a quality that you would describe her as first and foremost is Mm -hmm. put pressure on me and I'll dribble out of it and try to connect. Right. She usually dribbles out of it and tries to get in behind. Yeah. Which then is difficult for that player to catch up to her. That that is very true and frequently the case. So then like my assumption with this team, with this tournament is that it's Mm -hmm. Vlatko trying to sort of build different looks that we can do this or we can do that or we can do this depending on the situation. And this feels to me like one where he wants to attack using that speed, using Lynn Williams out wide, trying to get in behind and then making sure defenders can't catch her. If they were going to try to kind of have it be the central midfielder goes wide on both sides. Is it Tobin Heath? Do you think that is like the most adept at doing that? Who are some other wide attackers you think could function in that system on the right hand side? Yeah, I I think right now, and this is kind of a, I'm gonna throw this out there, and I don't know if it would work. But I think Christy Mewis would Mm -hmm. be interesting in that spot. Because she's a midfielder by trade. She's a lefty. Which if you want to build and combine and use your outside back to get in behind. 
she can come inside a little bit, dribble inside, and either take a shot with her left foot, or she can combine then with Rose Lavelle, who could then play that third man run of the outside back and behind. It's a little out there. You're building but a case I here. I kind of like it. You're building a case here. I do. I, I do like, like it. it. The left foot, so, especially. You're, you're not wrong. Yeah. That like cutting in there and then like having a go, like cutting inside the inverted winger style, but then also well, linking up. All right. Kristen all right. Press does on mm-hmm. the other side and comes inside and shoots with their right foot. So I, I kind of like that. And then you get Christy Mewis on the field, who over the last four months has been one of the most productive players for the U.S. Women's National Team, not even to mention what she did for her club over uh, 2020. So I'm just kind of interested in that, not because it has to be the solution, but if Christy Mewis is going to make this squad, it's really difficult to make the squad centrally. Yeah. But if you can play centrally and you can play on the wing, I don't know. Yeah. I think that there might be an... a reason to say, all right, let's give this a go. I like that. I also like that Crystal Dunn can play pretty much every position on the yes. field, which we kind of oh saw God. in this game. Like, and that is a, a, a constant. It goes back to Jill Ellis of why why are we playing her at left back? She could mm-hmm. be an attacking midfielder. She could be a wide attacker. And to some extent, I know the argument is like because there's so many other good attackers, let's put her in a position where she can thrive. Could she do a job out on the right wing, or would you like to see her more involved in the attack? Or do you think, for what she offers defensively in the defensive cover, do you think it's just better yeah. to keep her where she is for now? I mean, the the answer to your first question is: Could she do it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like, she, True. <laughs> there's. I, I would. Pro- I could probably. You could play Crystal at. Pretty much either wing spot, you could play her as an attacking midfielder. You could play her as an outside back on either side, I think. But but I do think she has filled that spot as a left back so purposefully. And also, that's a hard spot to fill. Having a quality left back mm-hmm. is not really something a lot of team or teams are just like going through the Rolodex with. This is true. So, yeah. So I think, um, yes, you could always put her up there, especially if you're not you know, you're behind in a game and you need a little more attacking, dribbling firepower. Crystal Dunn can, you know, cut through players like nobody else. So I think that is an option, but I don't know. I wouldn't move her from the, from left back. All right. I want to talk more about what some of the Americans did about some of the goals. I do want to talk first about Brazil because we weren't, Quite sure what to make of them. I think in our preview, you certainly had a better uh, idea of them than I. Uh, We were expecting them to be pretty attacking, pretty creative, maybe not as solid defensively. I think Mm -hmm. that's a thing that Pia Sundhaga, their manager, is desperately trying to deal with. Uh, She was pretty frustrated uh, from what I saw about uh, Brazil going behind so early. Tamiris spoke uh, after the game. She said that Santaga was going for a more holistic approach to defending than just sort of you you in the back four. You guys defend everybody else's attacking. It was much more everybody's got to do different things. Did you see their defense look better than we've seen them look in the past? I, I think of Brazil as like Marta Dabinha attack. I don't often pay as much atten- attention to the defense. I'm assuming you are better at these things because you are better at these things. So I'm wondering if you have thoughts on the Brazilian defense. <laughs> You're exactly right, Taylor. And in Brazil, as a country, has been known for their attack. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what football we're talking <laughs> yeah. about, whether it's um, football, like yeah. like uh, futsal, or yeah. if it's uh, men or women. They are attacking-minded, creative players. And that even is their defenders. Tamaris actually megged someone. I don't know who yeah. it was. But out of the defensive third, she megged someone. So I was like, okay, whatever. Do, do you? I think absolutely. Pia came in and... She is a structured coach. She knows what she wants defensively. It is 4-4-2, pretty rigid, lined, defensive block. And 
in these past two games of the She Believes Cup, watching Brazil play, they look like they're defending as a team. There were moments when Marta, Marta, the best player in the world for a number of years for what she did attacking-wise, was defending inside her own six, yeah. stopping shots and tracking back. And when you can talk someone into doing that type of defensive work and she's your, you know, that big name player on your team and you have that type of buy-in, you know that you're doing something right. And I do think that this was, you know, is, it wasn't that you, the U.S. couldn't break Brazil down because I think when they did break them down, they weren't awesome in their decision making or quality of shot that they were deciding to, to take. But Brazil did look like they understood that it wasn't just, OK, we're going to leave our back line to defend. Yeah we're going to do a lot more as a unit to make this more difficult for whatever team we play against. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is, I will own up front, like a question born of ignorance, uh, but I, I'd like to know what you think. Is like I tend to think of this Brazil team, this Brazil national team, as like Marta Dabinha. They've got those good individual players. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for them, they're not surrounded by the talent that would elevate them to that next level performance. Here in this game, they still lose 2-0. But it was, I think, the first time, and this is where the ignorance comes in, because it may well be the case that this is how they always are, but it was the first time I've sort of watched this game and been like, oh, Brazil are going to be really good. Like, in a few years, Brazil are going to be in that sort of like, and I know they've been there before, but like in that sort of like, ooh, like it's USA-Brazil every single time, I got that vibe from this game, and I'm wondering if you have seen those strides, or if that is just maybe this game standing out in my head because it's a game that's standing out in my head. I felt like because of the defensive... Uh, positioning of Brazil, they actually were a little bit less creative attacking wise mm-hmm. because they're in better uh, defensive spots. So the space that maybe they would drift into when they weren't defending, they were able to then counterattack a little bit quicker. Yeah. So, but when you're changing the way a team thinks about defensive uh, movement, about defending, defending as a, a unit, you have to almost break everything that they've done before and you could tell players were thinking about okay where do I need to go defensively first instead of if this ball gets won how can I be in a better spot to transition mm-hmm. and I think that is easier to add in and that will be something that Pia adds in as she sees the team get better defensively but this is a, a Brazil team who looks committed to defending which I think makes them look like they've probably the best they've looked in a a few years since I've seen them. All right. All right. That makes me feel better. Yeah. But let me also note that they didn't have Formiga, who is 
Right. Formiga plays at PSG. She's 40 years old. Yep. She is a boss. Yep. And she is probably the best tackler in the game still. So when you're talking about playing on 442 defensively, if you're missing that presence of unity and destruction as far as breaking mm-hmm. up the the attack of the other team, it does change things a little bit. So I do think that adding her in in those games when she is back in will provide a little bit more ability for Brazil to counter quicker because they know she's going to win the ball and they're going to be able to get out. So speaking of that 4-4-2, you talked about that last week as well, that we Mm -hmm. might have a sort of midfield overload for the U.S., which could then present more opportunities through the middle or, as you predicted, more opportunities out wide. Would you have liked to see the U.S. like try more consistently to build through the middle with some short passing? I think they did it on occasion, but it felt like Mm -hmm. more often they were happy to move the ball out wide and not risk that vulnerability of being countered through the middle. Yeah, I would have. And I feel like the some of the best times I saw from the U.S. was, uh, okay, picture this with me. The ball's on the, the right side, and it s- switches to, let's say, Julie Ertz. And mm-hmm. Julie Ertz is dribbling almost back towards her own goal about midfield. And what happens is she commits one of the center, the two center midfielders with her. And when she commits that player with her by receiving the ball there, then the space in behind that midfield line closer to the U.S.'s goal is a little bit wider. And when Lindsey Horan and Rose Lavelle found themselves then stretching that midfield line and and really playing in between the back line and the midfield line, when they picked up the ball in those spaces, they were the most dangerous. So it was either Julie Ertz then playing back to Becky Sauerbrunn, who then threaded the needle to Lindsey Horan, that's when I really felt yep. like the U.S. were playing through the midfield correctly. But it all depended on engaging those two center midfielders. And I think Brazil caught on to it and they weren't stepping with Juliards anymore. And they dropped back into a little bit deeper of a block, which made it difficult for the U.S. to break it down centrally. I'm glad you've, you've pointed out that sort of uh, Juliards dropping in aspect yeah. of things. Because, I mean, yeah, it's where the goal comes from. And it's also in that moment like a reminder of how good she is. Because I think of her as... Yeah. She covers the ground. She's a defensive destroyer. She's good on set pieces. The distribution thing is a thing I think I I don't think about as readily. But in this yeah. moment, it's the U.S. I think Brazil try to counter. U.S. wins the ball back. Crystal Dunn gets it. She plays it back. Brazil aren't pressing. They're sort of sitting a little bit deeper. But Becky Sauerbrunn, I think, takes either a heavy touch or like a hesitant touch. And Brazil read that. And that seems to be the pressing trigger. They go there. She plays it to Abby Dahlkemper. She's under pressure. She plays it to Julie Ertz, who has her back. To uh, the Brazil goal, she has Andressa, not Andressinha. Yes, Andressa. Yeah. Uh, she has her like like closing down, and Ertz takes touch with the right foot, and then in the same motion, swivels around, hits it with that left foot, and it's that diagonal into space. And in that moment, she's pulled a central midfielder out, as you talked about, mm-hmm. but then also had the vision to find Lindsay Horan out wide and just created this complete imbalance and this great counterattacking opportunity. And so in that moment, it's like great awareness. It's good yeah. technical ability, but it's also just that passing vision. I kind of forgot that Julia Ertz had, and it was very much on display, at least in this sequence. Yeah, it, it really was. And I think you underestimate, too, her just her movement off the ball to engage that player and to bring that player with her and say, I want you to actually come and press, press mm-hmm. me. I want you to come into there because I know if you do that, it's not only going to open up space in the direction that I'm playing the ball towards Lindsay Horan, but it's also going to open up space centrally for the runners. Maybe it's Rose Lavelle who's then occupying that central channel. So it's, it's smart movement. And I think uh, Julie Ertz 
does, you know, she's one of the best sixes because she does mm-hmm. what Shannon Box used to do, right? She does what uh, all the great holding midfielders do is they don't do anything super fancy. They just yep. do it all really well. And I will say that's another thing that I think I didn't really appreciate about Julie Ertz. Vlatko talked about it afterward, that in the first half, they were more inclined to have her pushing up a little bit, to have her get involved, to put that pressure on Brazil. When it became pretty evident that Brazil were going to be even more dangerous than we already thought on the counter, she sits in, she drops in and covers for the center backs, and I think is a big reason why there's fewer attacking opportunities for Brazil or fewer dangerous counterattacking opportunities. So again, you see that sort of like Julia Hertz can play the ball, win the ball, score headers, mm-hmm. uh, but then also adjust on the fly based on what they're asking her to do and cover it pretty well. Yeah, she's pretty good, I guess is what yeah. it comes down to. I, I think it's the Santa Clara in her. I think that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, did you see the United States like I mentioned that adjustment where she she dropped mm-hmm. in a bit more did you see other things the U.S. did that you liked when it comes to either nullifying what Brazil were trying to do on offense or capitalizing on what Brazil might not have been doing defensively uh, I think the the thing that I thought was interesting and I don't think it's going to answer that question at all the thing that I noticed about the U.S. was really in the end of the game the last 30 minutes Brazil was stepping on the gas and trying Mm -hmm. to make it difficult for the U.S. And I felt like they just struggled with connecting through the middle third. And Mm -hmm. and um, some of that is due to I think I think one of the best things and this is going to connect to what you asked. One of the best things about the U.S. was the front three for the majority of the game. It was Kristen Press, Alex Morgan and Lynn Williams. And what was so good about it is when Brazil was attacking and they were going at the United States, the the U.S. was, I would say, content with, in some ways, of def- of letting Brazil attack because they knew that they could hit them on yeah. a, a counterattack. And so what would happen is Kristen Press would come really deep, Alex Morgan would be that link-up player, and then Lil- Lynn Williams would stay high. And we saw that in the second half where that where Lynn Williams got the chance and the opportunity. But it was happening over and over again where those forwards were doing the defensive work to then win the ball and then they could get out. Mm -hmm. And I think I really liked that about the United States. And I think it changed towards the end of the game with all the substitutions. And it's not Sophia Smith's fault, but I think you could tell when she got in there that she was constantly you could see the wheels Mm -hmm. turning as like, am I in the right spot? Instead of feeling the game, she was very conscious of where she was, which is fine. And that's why you need to put her in there. She needs to make those decisions and figure that out. But I think just those little defensive movements and the defensive presence of the front line, when those changes happened, it broke down and there was a discombobulation Mm -hmm. between the team. Like it almost split the team in half and they couldn't, quite figure out how to stop Brazil's momentum that is until they scored again. But (laughs) I I thought that was interesting and something to, to look at is just better, clear uh, passing patterns or, or or better ways to build out of the defense, especially when you're tired. Yeah. Yeah. Which they definitely were. And a little bit bruised as well. Alex Morgan with more than a few kicks. I I wanted to ask your thoughts on her for a moment because she seems to, you know, Twitter being Twitter, divide opinion. Uh, but but I think it's it's sometimes the like, oh, she doesn't score enough goals, that sort of criticism. You watch her in this game, and it feels like she did a lot of thankless work. It was actually one of my like 
favorite Alex Morgan performances I can remember because I felt like she did she did a lot of what you talked about. She was leading the line. She was dropping in. She was holding up. She was drawing fouls. She was giving it back a little bit, which I don't yeah. mind seeing. And it, it seemed like this was one of those things where it it sort of isn't going to matter to Vladko whether or not she scores. It matters a lot of what else she was doing off the ball and stretching the defense or pulling opponents out of position. And it seems like she did a lot of that. I thought this was a really impressive performance from her. And I think it's a good reminder of just the how forwards can fill different roles. And of course, they're forwards. They should be scoring goals. Yes, I understand. I understand that. But I do think if you're Alex Morgan's teammate after that game, you are like pumped about where she's at in a year that is going to mean a lot to this team, knowing that she is not just going to be the player who gets into scoring situations and puts the ball in the back of the net or, you know, sometimes maybe forces things a little bit and and can't find the back of the net. Mm-hmm. I think I didn't think she forced many things tonight, which or today, which I think is one of the things that I liked the best is she played the f- way she was facing. Mm-hmm. She found the pockets of space where she can come into the midfield and connect and then push the back line. I thought it was a really well-rounded performance for her. And uh, she kept the ball a lot for her team. And, uh, you know, in the way that they were playing, that was really important to them. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I thought it was it was a good performance from her, if not a goal scoring performance from her. I, mm-hmm. I liked what I saw from the back line, yeah. but I also have another sort of question out of ignorance for you from the back line. I, I think I tend to I'm just going to ask you instead of putting myself okay. into a foolish position. Like, do you tend to think of between Becky Sauerbrunn and Abby Dahlkemper, is one of them more traditionally in your mind the left center back and one the right center back? Or do you feel like they they change it up on occasion? I think it's typically what we saw today, where Becky is the left center back and Abby okay. is the right center back. But that's funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking with the changes on the right side, I would have put Becky on the right side mm-hmm. just because she thinks the game so fast and she has such good communication as a leader. I think it would help settle whoever's playing. Not that Emily Sonnet or yeah. Midge person needs settling, but... I do think that there is a communication aspect that when you're you're playing in these games and decisions are happening so quickly to have Becky there guiding you helps. And so I actually would have switched it personally. So I I think that's interesting. And maybe that's something that they think about going forward. But then again, it makes the left side so difficult to break down if it's Crystal and Becky. Oh, yeah. Good call. Yeah, I think either one of them. And who do you think of as being the faster of the two? Because I I did see Becky Sauerbrunn with a good sort of defensive covering run, but almost outrun by, I think it was Ludmila for one moment. Yeah. Between the two. She's fast. Yeah. Ludmila was fast. Oh, I mean, I'm I'm not throwing stones here. They're both probably going to dust me in a race, Uh, especially these days. Uh, But (laughs) of the two, if you were going to put one into a foot race, who do you think comes out on top? I think Abby would, a physical speed, but... I was just talking to Nicole Barnhart about this. We're doing a show for She Believes. And Becky thinks the game faster, I think, than any center back in in the world. And the reason why she's been so good for so long is because she she can read what's happening. And so even if she thinks that there's going to be a foot race, she's taken two steps before that player even takes it to try to beat them to the space. So uh, she's very aware of I'm not saying she's slow like she she has pace on her. But I do think Abby's a little bit faster than her. Cool. I, yeah, I think I, I, 
for some reason, what stands out in my head is like, obviously, uh, Abby Dahlkemper can play those, the kind of long diagonals that uh-huh. I don't really know how to explain it because they're not really long. They're sort of like these like medium range ones that are always weighted over the top, but they're perfect and they like drop into the wide yeah. attacker's feet. And I tend to think of that for whatever reason as being like from the left side wide to the left, but it probably is from the right side to the left. That would make more sense. But yeah, t- yeah. today I just I felt like that wasn't as much of a of an emphasized thing. I saw her do it a few times, but not as mm-hmm. much as I think I normally do. So then I wondered like, oh, are they changing it up? It sounds like it was more of the same, more traditional than I, I'm letting it sound. Yeah, I think it was. All right. But well, fine I'm, then. Now, now I'm now I'm fine. Like, hmm, get back into that brain. See what you remember. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. We've talked about a few people. We've kind of jumped around, which is, mm-hmm. uh, you know. More my fault. Uh, but uh, I'm wondering if you have any players that other players you wanted to talk about on an individual level or anything else that you felt like was uh, was particularly worth noting from this one before we take a look at Argentina for a second. First, no fault in jumping around. I think it just makes people feel like they're actually in our conversations because yeah, this is just kind of how, how we talk. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I, I texted Lindsay Rand after the game. I was like, you were awesome. Like, yes, I thought she was the best you. player on the field. Yep. I really did. I thought Lindsay Horan was very, she was reading, as I mentioned earlier, just when those central midfielders in that 4-4-2 block, one would get pulled out, she would sneak in behind and find the space, or she would pull out wide and find the space. She would read off of the, the other runners if Crystal Dunn wanted to come inside, she would go outside. I just feel like she was really on not Mm -hmm. only in the attack, but there was a moment where she was playing on the back line. Like she saw that Crystal Dunn had made a defensive movement and she tracked back and 
ended up clearing the ball. I don't mm-hmm. know what the where the clearance went, but those are. I know that's a small thing, but when you're talking about defensive um, coverage, sometimes it's not just that second defender. So if Crystal Dunn goes, Becky Sauerbrunn's behind her or next to her, it's Crystal Dunn goes, and now the back line's a little exposed. Who's that next player to, to come into the back? And I thought that was so smart from Lindsay yeah. and the willingness to do that work. It was super late in the game, shows just her fitness level and her awareness. And I just thought she did so many little things right. Um, she probably didn't like when she got like cement trucked that one time, yep. but she does it to people too. <laughs> she can't be that mad. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you bring up the defensive uh, side of her game because I remember that moment. I wrote in my notes. I was very excited. I was like, please don't be a temporary thing because it was she had moved to left back and then Crystal Dunn, as you said, was further forward. And for a minute, it looked like an intentional thing. It looked like yeah. an adjustment they made. And I was like, oh, Lindsay Ryan at left back. Like, we're going to try some stuff. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's go. Um, and I think part of the reason why I thought it was so intentional, to your point, is because she looked pretty natural there. A yeah. thing that I like love for some reason in, in soccer is when you'll see the back line be so in sync that let's say like they're dropping a little bit. This is really good for an audio podcast. Jordan can see what yeah. I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> but like when you see the back line dropping and then the ball maybe goes back and you see the all four of them or all three of them step mm-hmm. at the same time. And it happened there. Like she steps to clear it and then you can see all of them move almost in sync and they step up two yards. I think she does only clear it like 30 yards, but she gets a foot to it. It goes away. That's all you need. Right. But then, yeah, that, that synchronization of the movement, it felt like, oh, like she could just do this. She could just be a yeah. left back. Let's make it happen. She goes back to the middle and continues to play there. But right. I really liked that awareness, to your point, that she's able to mm-hmm. do that and then do it well. Yeah. Lindsay Horan is a footballer. Like, I, I've known her since she was 15 years old. I was a pro and I was training with her. And she was this youngin. And from then, she just feels the game. She knows the game because she feels it. She watches it. She does all the little things to allow her to improve. And so that movement is something she's seen maybe she hasn't executed personally time and time again but she's seen that and she's aware that that is something that she needs to do and I just think that sometimes we underestimate the knowledge all these players have not of just their position but how all of the positions work together Mm -hmm. and all the positions in this case work together to get the U.S. a 2-0 win some of what we've talked about some of the adjustments Vlatko makes with Earth sitting deeper or some of the substitutions. The other thing that stood out to me about them was that it felt overall like he was trying different things, experimenting, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like wanted to win. And I think yeah. sometimes like on the men's side, when the U.S. loses 3-0 to Mexico and Burhalter is sort of confused why everybody's upset about this, because it's like, no, this is our time to experiment. I'm just trying different stuff. I sort of really like that we see Vlatko experimenting, but also still trying to win. And like, from what you know of him, is that sort of like his disposition, his approach to games of like, we want to experiment, we want to try different stuff, but fundamentally I want to win. And if that means I'm going to put in some people to kill this game off for the final 10 minutes, like, so be it. We don't always have to play beautiful free-flowing soccer if we want to win some games. Absolutely. He definitely, I think that this team wants to win and Mm -hmm. him as the leader of the team definitely has that drive as well. And it's not always going to be pretty. He's been in the game long enough as a player and as a coach. He knows that it's not always going to look the the best. But I also do think he appreciates these two games and the different challenges that they presented because just even attacking a, a team who was sitting in a 4-5-1, who was Canada, versus attacking this team who was sitting in a 4-4-2. There's just different nuances that you can learn about your team now when the results don't matter as much as far as do will you advance to the next round of the Olympics uh, that I think 
he is, I would imagine, what time is it? It's 8 p.m. on mm-hmm. the, the East Coast. I would imagine Vlaco is in the film room watching that game right now and already figuring out ways that he can make his team better. So I think that these types of tests are things that he really enjoys mm-hmm. because he knows that from it, his team is going to get better and he can't wait to implement it. So the U.S. Uh, with the 2-0 no win, uh, we didn't mention Meg Rapino comes on and scores, does the the baby celebration, which I'm going to assume was uh, shouts to Ali Krieger and Ashlyn Harris. And if so, that yeah. makes me very, very happy. Could be Alex Morgan, as somebody pointed out. But either way, <laughs> I like the tweet that uh, Megan Rapino is officially like the world's greatest aunt for that one. Right. That, that, and I just I like all the babies involved again. There's <laughs> always been babies on the U.S. Women's National Team. And it really just it is so cool. Um, having that part of the culture of this yeah. team. It, yeah. It's also, yeah, like it, it blows my mind that um, I like this is a, a weird one, but like I feel like pop culture, what I've learned from my wife getting pregnant and having a baby is how much pop culture has lied to me. For example, a little thing, <laughs> pregnancy tests thought you could just take those right away. Got to wait a month. Didn't know that. And there's so many things that like I did not know. And in so right. many TV shows, it's like woman gives birth. And then the next day is like out running around and doing stuff. Not how right. it works. And so Not knowing that, yes. seeing Alex Morgan out there, it's like, this I is know. insane. <laughs> this is it's, ridiculous that she can honestly, do what she can do. I have yet to have a baby, baby, but I'm already just super impressed with these women. I've had teammates who've done it and it is incredible. Your body changes significantly. And that the fact that mm-hmm. Alex Morgan is out there doing what she just did. I mean, if you don't think women are superheroes already, like... Yeah. Just take a look at that. There you go. Right on. <laughs> so let's talk about what we can then expect from the superheroes in their final game. Uh, okay. I just checked it, and it looks like Canada is winning 1-0 over Argentina. It was 1-0 or nil-nil at half. Uh, yeah. Canada with, it looks like the result. We'll see. Which means the U.S., pretty solid position here. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, what can we take away from that Argentina game? Because I don't want to be dismissive to them, but it is not right. Japan, who it would have been originally, which I think would still give us the Cerner, the test, even with the United States having won the first two games, even if Japan had lost their their first two, I would still feel like this is a tough opponent. They've got to, they've got to be taken seriously. We're going to learn a lot from this one. I don't know how much we'll be able to take away from this. What are you going to be paying attention to? What would you like to see against Argentina? Yeah, this one is the most difficult of the three, just because Argentina was a late addition to mm-hmm. She Believes. And it's it's been interesting to watch and see how they, how they play. I think the first thing that I think of is the right back. I talked about that a mm-hmm. lot. And I want to see Casey Short, Casey Kruger. Now she got married in the offseason. I want to see her take that spot mm-hmm. and at least get an opportunity to play. Because now you've seen three different players and three different games Uh, who is going to back up Kelly O'Hara if Kelly O'Hara is your right back player? And I don't know if anybody has claimed that spot yet. So I'd like to see her get an opportunity there. This is one, again, I knew I threw out something out of left field earlier with uh, Christy Mewis playing on the wing. I I would like to see her play centrally in this game. So we'll see if she gets a start. But I'm going to go Jaylene Howell. Hmm. She's a young player. She came into camp, ended up... um, came in just as a practice player and ended up filling a roster spot. She plays at Florida state. She's a six. I think you need to experiment with that and you need to give her an opportunity because Julie Ertz played every single minute of the last two games. And I do think Sam Mewis or Lindsay Horan can play in that spot. But if you want to use them, not as a six or as more of attacking players, you need or you would want someone to be able to back up Julie and in 
have a little bit of experience. And she's a, she's a stud. This girl can do a lot of things. She's aggressive. She's determined in tackling, but she also can, like we were talking about Julie, she has good distribution that maybe go, goes unseen a little bit. I just want to see her get a shot with some more minutes and maybe get a start and play like 60 minutes. And so that's kind of the big, the player that I would like to see. We'll see if we see it, but that's, that's the one that I'm interested to see, especially against the Argentina team who can counter you and can, um, maybe she has a little bit more free. Mm -hmm. She has a little bit more like ability to play freer in attack, but can she hold that down when, when they do counter attack? So I'm, that's what I'm most interested in. Or is she going to get some minutes? And if she does, for people who like aren't as familiar, myself very much included, like uh, you mentioned, uh, who who's the Brazil left back who megs somebody? I mentioned, I said her oh, name earlier. Tamaris. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Like that. That feels very like if I wanted to show like how Brazil defend and what their approach is, it's like yeah, their left back's going to try to meg you uh, <laughs> for for how like if there was a moment that you think people could look for as like you're going to point to that and be like that's why I want her in there. Would it be lockdown yeah. defending? Would it be taking people on? What, what do you think is like the best thing people can spot in her game? I think she has a good ability to switch the point of attack, and so sensing as that six, a lot of it is knowing okay when can we spring maybe everything's on the left side like we talked about in in these games and there's a lot of numbers over there can she get receive the ball and create one v one opportunity on the other side with with her distribution so i think she's good at that and i also just think she is good at reading how a team is is breaking out and scooping the ball up whether it's stepping in front of the attacking midfielder to win that ball and then transition or just keeping a team contained. So that's one attacking thing and one defensive thing. So All right. she's good. She's <laughs> yeah. good. And she, I mean, she's there. So you might as well, for me, mm-hmm. I think you should give her a shot. Yeah. I li- yeah, I like it all. I mean, obviously, if she's with the U.S. Women's National Team, it's she's a safe right. assumption that she's all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, yeah. uh, any, anything else? What have you got going on uh, in, in the coming days to prepare for this uh, this final game? Yeah, I'm going to probably go watch the rest of the game that's happening yeah. right now. And oh, sorry if I spoiled that. My bad. Uh, oh no, it's I'm I'm not one of those. I yeah. I'm gonna watch a game no matter what. Can I we don't ta- care what Let's talk about that for a second. It's totally <laughs> random. But this was a thing. Like I, I tended to if I if I missed the game live, I would always uh-huh. try not to know what happened. So it like right. I could then be like have it not spoiled. And yet for purposes of reviewing. Nowadays, it's way easier to review a game when you know the results. It seems like it would be more boring, but it's more fun because then you're just focused on like what is actually happening as opposed to what's yeah. going to happen in a minute. Do, like, yeah. Is that how it is for you? Yeah, I just I don't mind it. I think I just want to – I just like watching soccer. So to me, I don't really <laughs> care if I, I know who wins already or who's up. It's it to me, matter. how did they get up? Like how yeah. did they end up winning? You know, I'm still analyzing the same thing. So um, – but I know some people, I mean, I know that with MLS Assist is some people are, if you tell them those scores, they are not happy, which mm-hmm. I can appreciate. To yep. each your own. To each your own. own. Yes, we have learned that the hard way. It's why the title, <laughs> this show will be titled uh, USA Brazil Review. 
and that Yay. will be it. Can't give anything away. Can't give any uh, score lines. Are you going to give the date? The date away? I suppose. I don't know. That could spoil yeah, it for people. Know, Some people don't want to know if it was played on February twenty first. I did just have to look at the calendar to make sure that's the date. But for now, uh, Jordan, uh, I look forward to hopefully talking to you after that Argentina game. But I really appreciate it. Uh, what have you all got lined up for MLS Assist this week? Has that been decided yet? Yes, we have a show coming out tomorrow. We are going to talk about bright young players who are 19 and younger there's some really good young players in major league soccer i don't like it and some of them have already left and it's like yeah i know the the age of them is ridiculous it doesn't make you feel old at all does it not at all (laughs) i turned off the man united game halfway through because it was halftime and the u.s women's game was starting but i saw (laughs) the bench warming up and it, it like it almost hurt my feelings with how like it looked like they were nine-year-olds warming up for that yeah. team. And I think they did play a 16-year-old at one point in this game. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I don't care for it. Yeah, Everyone's... so we're going to talk about the, the young babies in MLS. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm glad that I hijacked your topic to complain about aging. Uh, I look forward to that episode. I'm sure our listeners do as well. But for now, Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to ch- talk all things USA 2, Brazil 0. And for people who listened all the way through, I apologize for spoiling the result. But Jordan, thank you again. Yeah, thanks so much, Taylor. 